So we have a long way to go in fulfilling the Great Commission. I don't have time to mention all those nations, but I'll just mention my top ten. North Korea, Tibet, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Libya, Tunisia, and Turkmenistan. That's the top ten of my 40. Would you pray with me for these places? Lord Jesus, we ask right now that you would send workers to these forgotten places. In some cases, like Libya and Tibet and Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan, the church hardly exists. We think of the sheer number of churches right here just in Edinburgh and the rest of Scotland where your word is being preached. And yet we feel the need all around us in an overwhelming way. And it's one of the reasons we're here with this ship filled with your servants. What can we say of these places? We can only cry out to you that somehow change could take place through prayer, through dynamic biblical action, and that we would see workers sent out to the more unreached places of the world. We pray, Lord Jesus, for some of the crises like Dafur, and the imprisonment of believers in Eritrea, and the ongoing war in Iraq and Afghanistan, and the chaos between Pakistan and India, and the scourge of HIV-AIDS. Lord Jesus, send out those who can also help in these global crisis situations, and especially the Dalit people of India, 200 million who live in a form of slavery. Lord, we pray for the work among the Dalits. We thank you that they're responding more than ever in history. Give us strength as we try to open all these schools, as we try to feed and help so many. We thank you for over 2,500 churches started by OM teams and many more by other agencies. Truly, Lord, this is harvest time in India, and we give you the thanks and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. How many of you actually receive regular information about OM, any aspect of OM, the ships or, or some other part? India, raise your hand. I'd be interested in knowing. There's still a lot of you that don't receive anything, and I'd urge you to sign up to receive something. A lot of people in Britain, I notice, and I've lived here 46 years, a little bit of an embarrassment as I still don't know the language. I live in a place called London where we seem to have a lot of different languages all being spoken. And so I've just started sort of speaking my uh, semi-American English. But it's a, it's a huge challenge to find people who will support this ministry. Your church is actually a bit of a, a distortion because you've been so supportive. But that's not the average situation. And we would appreciate if some of you would sign up to receive our materials. And in case you move from here... Somehow we will not lose track of you. A lot of you are young people. Some of you are students. You may not be in Edinburgh the rest of your life. We'd like to be able to keep contact with you. Um, We live in a day of phenomenal communication. Uh, We love to keep uh, in touch with you through Facebook or through email. You can find me very easily, as uh, Pastor mentioned. Just go and Google or just georgeverward.com. And watch some of those amazing blogs. Every blog offers a free book. But if you think it's easy to give out free books to this generation, you may want to give it a try. And I'm deciding to move more into film myself, as people seem to want to watch DVDs 
rather than read books. This is Palm Sunday, and I've been reading both Matthew and Luke about Palm Sunday and really wrestling with what to share as my heart is so full. And we have this great theme, Take My Life, that reminds me of one of my favorite Christian books, Michael Griffith's Take My Life. If you don't find it on our book table, maybe look on the ship. If you don't find it there, send me an email and I'll send you a dozen copies and an apology because it's an older book and we don't always have all the older books at our fingertips. So we did reprint that a number of times. Some of you may not realize that STL and Wesley Owen in OM was all once the same organization. And I had the joy of overseeing the whole thing. But 20 years ago, it did seem that the literature arm of OM called STL should become a separate company where they pay salaries rather than, as in OM, us, including me, raising our own support. That was one of the hardest decisions in my ministry. A consultant I brought in to help STL really went after me. I was in the woods. I can show you the spot where I got this phone call. And this consultant said, look, take your hands off this STL part of your work and let it go free and pay salaries. And God dealt with me right there in those woods and said he was right. We created a new board. We brought Keith Danby as the CEO. He was already involved. We moved the whole thing to Carlisle, closer to Peter Maiden, who continued to be involved. And it became, it became a separate company, later taking on bookshops in Britain from the Scripture Union, Scotland from the Church of Scotland, later taking on one of the largest wholesale companies in North America and recently merging with the International Bible Society to create one of the largest Christian literature agencies in the world. And I'd ask prayer for SDL, Wesley Owen, IBS as they're going through a difficult time when they installed a new highly sophisticated computer, supposedly the best in the world, called SAP. And it has been sapping us of uh, some money in the process of putting it in. And Keith Dan, Carol Danby, who live in Carl uh, Carlisle but are often ministering or working out of Colorado Springs, have a huge responsibility with this IBS STL Wesley Owen conglomerate. And I'm sort of glad it is separate from Operation Mobilization because Peter Maiden has his hands full with five and a half thousand people in a hundred nations carrying OM forward. Thank you for your part. Thank you for your prayers. I've been thinking a lot about the ship, and I get up early and uh, take a walk and walk around the ship and walk around the decks, and I was just uh, wrestling with what I should share this morning, and God said I should talk about the ship. How does that fit into Palm Sunday? I'll let you figure that out, and you can email me about that. But there's seven words that come to my mind that as I look at this ship. And it is tied into Easter, I can assure you, because the first word is Jesus. Easter is all about Jesus. And in many ways, it's the best time of the year. Because even non-Christians are often willing to at least bring up the subject. And if you and I don't share our faith around Easter time, I don't know when we will. We got all these beautiful tracks, some of them produced by an agency right here in Edinburgh. And... Um, the Easter tracks are the easy one, easiest ones to, to give away. And if you're a coward track distributor, just lose them. Just leave tracks here and there 
And when you get to heaven, you'll find someone who found one of your gospel tracts and got saved. I wrote a book called Literature Evangelism. It's never sold very well, though it went into about 25 languages. And in that book, I share about uh, amazing stories of people coming to Christ through gospel tracts. That's not in competition with the Internet. Tens of thousands are coming to Jesus through Internet evangelism. Internet evangelism is one of the most exciting things on the planet. But it doesn't mean we don't use literature. All these different ways of communicating are being used of God. And so more than ever, we don't have an excuse for not sharing our faith. Even if you're the most shy, quiet person in the world, you can be locked in the closet on wireless and be sharing your faith with someone in Saudi Arabia. Of course, to do it takes a little action, doesn't it? C.S. Lewis said we have the tendency to think but not to act. He went on to say, we have the tendency to feel, but not to act. And if we continue to go on that way, thinking and feeling without acting, someday we will be unable to act. In 1968, when I spoke to a huge gathering at Urbana, Illinois, and the copy of that sermon is in my new book, Drops from a Leaking Tap, I developed or coined a phrase, called spiritual schizophrenia, and I believe it's still prevalent today, where we become like two different people. And in church and with Christian friends, we talk about Jesus, we sing the songs, we've got the vocabulary, but when we're in other situations and other days of the week, often we're like a completely different person. And I believe that is an illness, a spiritual illness that is out of control in the body of Christ. And we need a fresh view of the Lord Jesus himself and the fact that he went all the way to the cross, the fact that he was nailed to that cross as we vividly saw in that unbelievable film, The Passion, which despite criticism from some Christians was mightily used of God, especially in the Muslim world, to show them the real Jesus and what he suffered on the cross. And when I think of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, then more or less on a daily basis, I pray, Lord, take my life. If he gave all for me all the way to the cross, surely I should give him my time, my moments, my hours, my finance, everything to him. So when I look at our ship, I also think of the Lord Jesus It was the Lord Jesus who directed us in that converted pub in Bolton, Lancashire, uh, about 45 years ago, to pray a prayer about having an ocean-going ship. The vision was not one or two things. From the beginning, there was a vision of about 10 different ministries that could be based on the ship. And the ship ministry cannot be understood, and many people don't understand it, and I can assure you it is still criticized especially since it costs more than it used to be. Even though one American church will often spend more on their one church building than we spend on this entire ship project, which supplies the housing, which was the biggest part of the vision from the beginning. The housing it provides for people who can evangelize and serve and carry on all these other 10 different ministries that are launched out from the ship. So for me, the ship Lagos, and the word Lagos refers to 
the word in John's gospel, which is Jesus. In the beginning was the word, Lagos, Jesus. So when I look at the ship, and I've been looking at ships, of course, since we got the first ship in October of 1970. We celebrate 40 years of actually having a ship ministry. Oh, it started before that. We even had a captain and a chief engineer uh, before we had a ship. And, of course, the chief engineer, naturally, he was Scottish. What an amazing story. You can actually pick up the book of Lagos, about Lagos or about Dulas from the bookshop, the largest floating book ex exhibition in the world this afternoon. Secondly, when I look at the ship, the word provision comes to my mind, especially in these days of financial tornadoes. And you may have one in your own situation. There may be some people here that have been made unemployed even in the past few months. The way it's going, quite a few will be. And I just want to urge you, whatever may happen in your financial realm, that the Lord will provide. You are his child. There are many, many promises concerning his provision. And at times with the ship ministry, especially in those first years, it really looked like we were out of funds. We didn't have money for fuel. We sometimes didn't have money for food. And there were many other problems in Operation Mobilization, I can assure you. But we've seen the Lord's provision. We often read these stories like Hudson Taylor. I just reread his biography, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. And I saw a parallel, though very different, between what Hudson Taylor faced and what we faced in pioneering some totally new things, especially in Muslim countries, which is still the number one priority of our movement, with over 700 people working among Muslims. In fact, when we made a decision a few years ago to keep the ship ministry going because we don't want to do that, we didn't want to do it, the board of directors didn't want to do it, if it wasn't still 30, 40 years later effective. And our survey showed that the ship ministry was effective and that many people going on the ship for one or two years were catching the vision to work long-term with OM and other agencies in the Muslim world. The fulfillment of the most important aspect of the original vision of Operation Mobilization some of you may not know much about our history, so you better pick up this book. And if you can't afford it, send me an email. I'll send you one free. But our original vision when I first came to Spain after working in Mexico was communist countries, Muslim countries, enclosed countries. That's it. Britain was not even in the equation. And it was through a failure in the Soviet Union. How many have ever heard of Brother Andrew, God's smuggler? Have you heard of him? Well, this morning, you don't know. You've got Brother George, God's bungler. I try the same thing, and due to my own stupidity, I have a gifting in the stupidity area. I got arrested by this uh, KGB and accused of being a spy. Then they uh, finally sent me out of the country. And uh, it was then I went in a, a day of prayer in the mountains of Austria, and it was there God gave me the name Operation Mobilization and changed the vision gave me this name, Mobilization, connected with Western Europe and the war that had just taken place in Western Europe where my, own, my wife's own father had been killed. And I thought if there can be a mobilization of hatred, surely there can be a mobilization of love. 
And the answer for the Muslim world, the communist world, and all these difficult closed places like Afghanistan is the mobilization of the church in Europe. That's why I moved from Spain to London. That's why I started preaching every year at Cambridge and Oxford and up and down Great Britain, working with the church to mobilize and to see thousands of workers thrust out into the harvest field. In answer to prayer, the next summer we had 200 workers and the next summer it was 2,000. Only after that foundation that we even began to think about ships and being able to carry on the work in a unique way to evangelize the world. Yes, God has provided for this fellowship where 140,000 people have served all over the world, both on land and at sea, all of these years, and he will provide your needs. That doesn't mean there won't be suffering. That doesn't mean there'll never be illness. Doesn't mean you'll never lose a job. Doesn't mean there won't be heartbreaks and misunderstandings. Billy Graham, my spiritual father, said life at its best is filled with sadness. I was studying the writings of a Catholic author some time ago, something I'm not normally doing much. And through this writer, I realized some new aspects of the subject of pain and sorrow, and I put some of it in this new book, Drops from a Leaking Tap. Learning how to embrace sorrow and embrace pain, incorporate it into our life, into our worship, realizing this is what life is about. For 53 years, I prayed that someday I might have the opportunity of fellowship and time with Dr. Billy Graham. I was saved in his meeting in New York City Way back in 1955, I wasn't from a Christian family. My grandfather from the Netherlands and my dad also from the Netherlands. His dad was an atheist. My other grandfather was Scottish, Irish, and my mother's side, and English mixed together. I mean, that's basically toxic. He was a complete drunk. And my grandmother divorced him. And at 16, I was on the road to addiction. I won't go into details. When a little woman of God put my name on our Holy Ghost hit list, and started praying for me. Not only that I become a Christian, I was the local high school loudmouth and class clown and little trouble with the police. She not only prayed that I'd become a Christian, she prayed that I'd become a missionary. She didn't even discuss this with me. I'd like to talk about my own life and what I'm going to do. And then she sent me a gospel of John, like a hand grenade with a pin pulled out through the post. And as I began to read this gospel, God broke my egocentric, lustful heart and prepared me for a Billy Graham meeting, a one-night stand in New York City. A Christian business person gave me a free seat on a bus. I was so arrogant because I went to a church which was like a religious social club. They had left the idea of the Bible, but they still had some Christian religion. I became the president of the youth fellowship. I was teaching them how to rock and roll in the church because I thought the place was dead. And the pastor thought it was great and made me his assistant. It's called the local blind lead the blind club. And then suddenly I'm listening to Billy Graham speak about conversion, talking about you going in one direction, you stop and you repent, you believe in Jesus, and you go in the other direction, pointing out that religion and going to church is not what really does it. It's new life and Jesus. And when he gave that invitation, I went forward and believed on Jesus. And by his grace, he saved me. And that's been a reality every day ever since. People who knew me 
especially some of the Christians, my wild temperament, my big mouth, and a lot of other negative factors. They thought, George Verwer, this is a joke. He's become a religious extremist. They said it would last a year. I read a book about temperaments, and my temperament, the choleric temperament, was described in this book also extremely depressing. I think it gave me two years. But Jesus gave me a whole life. And one of the greatest joys I have is visiting the ship and going down to the engine room where I found my grandson signed up for a two-year program. Praise God for grandchildren. How many of you have grandchildren? Aren't they wonderful? I've only got five. A friend of mine has a hundred. But I esteem him very highly. Tony Campalo says, grandchildren is God's prize to you for not killing off your own kids. <laughs> Tremendous insight Tony Campalo has. Our God will provide. Our God will provide. The third word that comes to my mind as I look at the ship and also as I think of Easter is the word grace. I think grace has become sort of the number one word in OM. I don't think it was in the early days. We were a bit legalistic, a bit, bit hyper, a bit judgmental. I think we used to quickly repent of those things because we had great godly teachers like Alan Redpath who also ministered on our first ship and stayed on the ship overnight. And we were reading books by a wide range of people like Eugenia Price, a woman's writer who wrote some of the first material that really hit my heart big about freedom and about grace. And then Roy Hessian came into Operation Mobilization like a tornado out of heaven with his book, Calvary Road, which became required reading. And you'll find plenty of copies of that around. When Roy died, he left the whole thing in my hands called the Roy Hessian Trust. And I'm sort of the chairman. I've given all the work to a friend. But Roy Hessian's books still exist in 80 languages around the world. And whenever royalties come in, we use it to support those books in countries uh, where they don't have necessarily the funds to launch another edition. The message of grace, especially then expressed in Swindoll's brilliant book, Grace Awakening, or Philip Yancey, another dear friend of our movement, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, has become really the hallmark of the ship ministry. You will find a little more freedom than you found maybe on the ship in the 70s. We still have basic rules. Ships, you have to have rules just for people's safety and security. But I believe with all my heart, we've learned more about grace. Being more forgiving. Being big hearted. Letting people be what God is doing in their life. Not expecting them to be like you. And many other aspects of grace. My own book, Out of the Comfort Zone, looks like a missions book, and I guess it is. But in fact, I wrote this book to give a heart plea for more grace in the work of God, more forgiveness, more willingness to go the extra mile. And can I throw in this phrase? I know it's a cliche. More willingness to believe the best. Even in our fellowship with one another, even in our responding to leaders and people that we don't initially like, is to go the extra mile. And I believe this ship is in Edinburgh this weekend and these two weeks because a lot of people have gone the extra mile. There were things about OM they didn't like. There were things about George Verwer they didn't like, and I understand that. Things about the ship that maybe they didn't understand, but they went the extra mile. 
And when I think of the engineers who worked on the refurbishing and those who stayed on the ship through that period like Mike and Ann Hay and others, I know it was the grace of God and it was the grace expressed toward one another. That's also enabled Operation Mobilization to function for 50 years without any major disunity. I'm still looking for my first major argument with Peter Maiden, who worked as my associate for 25 years and now the director for five and a half years. Do you ever try to pick an argument with Peter Maiden? I know he's preached here. Extremely difficult. His sanctification really gets on my nerves. And I'm praying somehow that someday I might be as patient and as gracious as Peter Maiden. But I may have to wait to heaven. The fourth thing that comes to my mind when I look at this ship, and you can't help it, is hope. I'm not a natural person of hope. In fact, I have a negative streak that I don't even like to talk about. I have the fear that I'm going to become like the Darth Vader of the evangelical world. I remember once in Pakistan dealing with this negativeness. Pakistan seemed like such a dark place. I didn't even want to start working there. Our work in India was huge. We had enough headaches in India to keep us all busy. Why should we start Pakistan? But somehow in God's purposes, after the ship went to Karachi, Mike Wakely was willing to serve as a leader, and the work got launched. And I was there in somewhat of a negative mood, and then I had to preach in a key meeting. I'll never forget it. Around that time, I was being convicted of my, some of my pessimism and my lack of uh, just sort of believing the best and trying to see the better side of things. Do any of you struggle with a negative streak? Am, am I the only one? Is there any others that struggle with a, a bit of a negative streak? See the dark side? A few others. Please send me an email and tell me how you got the victory because I'm still working on it. But that was a victorious moment in this meeting in the cathedral. Just before the meeting, an OM leader came to me and he said, look, could you be careful? Being a little bit known for saying offensive and stupid things in the pulpit, he really wanted to try to get me to behave myself because the bishop was going to be there. So I said, okay, I'll be careful. Then another leader came to me and he said, look, do you think you could dress properly? This is before I had my global jackets. This thing covers everything. And so I said, okay, I'll dress properly. I'll never forget, there I am in the cathedral. I'm really praying. I'm trying to do my best. I'm dressed with a suit and a tie. I looked like an undertaker. Right in the middle of the sermon, a pigeon flies over me, drops its load in front of the bishop on my suit coat. Typical, right? Negative thinkers, huh? That's what it's about here. But God was doing a new thing. I looked at the audience and I said, praise the Lord, the elephants don't fly around here. You may have had a difficult week, but it could have been a lot worse. So praise the Lord. And when I look at the ship, Lagos Hope, it's my prayer, especially in these senior years with lots of struggles, lots of doubt, lots of hurt, that somehow I'll never lose hope. Darfur, Iraq, Afghanistan, these are places I prayed for for 50 years. Prayer and fasting, nights of prayer almost every week. And yet we've not seen the breakthroughs. So if you don't think that can't discourage a man and break a man, you just haven't been around the planet long enough. And so when I look at the ship and I see the young people, I'm filled with hope. And when I think of Easter, Friday, but Sunday comes and he's risen, I'm renewed, I'm refreshed and filled with hope. 
And that's actually been my experience every day these 54 years in Christ. And then the fifth word is the word reality. As I go around the ship, I see the work that has to be done. I get behind the scenes talking to people and realize some of the complexities and the problems, the shortage of funds. As I think of global terrorism, and as I do read quite a lot, the word reality just comes to my heart. And I have this prayer for all of the Lord's people. Let's be real. Let's be real. By the way, I finally got to visit Billy Graham almost this time last year, right there in his home. And I was able to ask him this quote I'd been making all over the world. I wasn't sure he said it. Life at its best is filled with sadness, Billy Graham. And I said, Billy, did you actually ever say this? And he smiled at me and he said, absolutely. And we see Billy Graham as a spiritual hero and a mentor. And he's been that and much more. But he's also a man that's had his heart broken many, many times. Reality. Life can be tough. It can be difficult. There are discouragements. And yet, somehow in the midst of it, we keep worshiping. We keep pressing on, whether we feel like it or not. We deny self every day. Take up the cross and follow him because that's what the book says. And that's, in the end, the bottom line. And my sixth word is the word unity. And I just continue to pray that here in Charlotte Chapel and in the churches in general and all of Scotland may grow in unity and faith. And it was so encouraging to hear that some pastors met on the ship from many different backgrounds the other day. And thanks be uh, to uh, Peter for helping put together that, that meeting and being the chairman of the uh, Lagos Hope Committee here in Edinburgh. Let's pray for greater unity, but let's not dictate the kind of unity because God's unity will be in the midst of great diversity and different denominations and different individual churches. I, th- I see them as God's families. God works through families. Those families are influenced by personality, by culture, by their founders. They will all be different. And yet, we see them all part. Those who love Jesus, born of his Holy Spirit, part of his family. And my final word, as I look at the ship, and I think of the last five years, and then the last 40 years of the ship ministry, and the last 50-some years of OM's ministry, Guess what my final word is? Perseverance. The ship is a story of perseverance. People who are very ordinary people. I remember our first captain who was a Pentecostal from Norway and our first chief engineer who was a Plymouth Brethren from Scotland. They could barely converse. There's already a natural problem on ships between chief office, between the captain and the chief engineer. That's history. Whatever. And I remember a lot of things going wrong. And one day the captain, they never do this. Captain Bjorn from Norway went down to the engine room to give John Yar. They're both in heaven. They're dancing this morning to give John Yar a few of his thoughts about what he was doing in the engine room. And I was, of course, the referee. I've actually forgotten what happened at that particular moment in the history of the ship. And I don't think it's actually got into the book. Perseverance. 
perseverance. People that wouldn't naturally get on together. Do you ever have that experience in your life? Sometimes it can be in your own family, a brother and a sister who can't hardly relate to each other. Perseverance, pressing on, talking things through, praying praying things through, forgiving, being big-hearted. That's what this book is all about. That's what Easter is all about. That's what this ship is all about. And I hope that's what you are all about as a disciple of Jesus. Let us pray. Living God, I just thank you for this Easter season. And we would pray with all of our hearts. Oh, Lord, take our lives. Let them be, oh, God, wholly consecrated to thee. And take our feet, because you said, blessed are the feet of those that preach the gospel. That, Lord, we may walk where you want us to walk. We may go where you want us to go. And that some from this service this morning may even end up going to some of these more unreached places of the world. I pray that some in this service may get the vision to spend one or two years on the ship and then to be willing to go anywhere at any time after they get that kind of exposure and training. And I ask this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.